Well, good morning to each and every one of you. Happy New Year. It's great to be with you and to begin this new season of ministry together. Maybe you weren't with us in November when I was here a few weeks back. My name is Shane Garrison. Uh, officially today, I am uh, being invited and honored to join you as uh, your transitional pastor. That is a great Great opportunity for our family and I. My wife Jennifer and our sons were in the nine o'clock service, and hopefully you'll get to see them. They're going to try to alternate back and forth so that we get a connection with both uh, groups. But we ter- uh, teach and live in Campbellsville. Both my wife and I are on the faculty at Campbellsville University in the School of Theology. Uh, I've been there for 14 years, and she's been there for seven. Uh, we Help churches. This is sort of the thing that God has led us to do is to help churches that are in transition and walk with them through the search process. And so as wild as it might sound, uh, Valley Creek is church number 15 that we have helped through this process. And I don't know if there is a lucky number 15, but you're lucky number 15. And we're so honored to, to be here. The goal is always the same. It's to help. And that means many things, but certainly to help the pastor, uh, pastoral staff, the ministry staff, if they have things that they need. I'll be meeting with them tomorrow just to kind of get familiar with uh, that group. Uh, we also want to help the pastor search committee, the team that's actually searching for your next lead pastor, if they need it. If, if, if they're doing okay, then that's fine and dandy. But if they uh, want some counsel and some outside eyes on the process, I'm certainly able to help in that regard. My hope is to help you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we're part of the kingdom of God and part of God's family. And so if there's things that I can pray for you about, encourage you with, uh, walk with you in, certainly would be honored to do that. And we'll just see as God guides how this goes. Uh, my job is always the same. It's to pass the baton as smoothly and as easily to the next lead pastor whenever that time comes. Most search processes take between a year to two years. Actually, the national average is 18 months. That's kind of the going trend. Um, the last church we served in northern Kentucky, where I was just at for Christmas Eve, uh, they've been searching for about a year and a half, and, and today they will uh, welcome their new leader. Uh, the church we were at before, Emmanuel Baptist Church, just kind of down the street here, uh, we were there for a little over a year, actually about 15, 16 months after their pastor of 32 years retired, uh, Chuck Garland, and, and their new pastor came in. And so it is our intention and goal just to be a help to you. I will need to learn a lot of names. And so don't be embarrassed. Well, I will be embarrassed because I won't remember all the names, but continue to introduce yourself and please, please uh, know that we're just so thankful to, to be here. Does that sound like a plan going forward? We all good there? With a thumbs up? We okay? All right, very good. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And it's a new year, and we're starting a new series called Mic Drop. That phrase, Mic Drop, is a cultural phrase. It's a kind of something that's made its way into our modern slang. And it's descriptive of when someone does something that kind of causes everyone to stop and pay attention. It's a mic drop moment. 
One of the more recent ones that still is on uh, many minds was from several years ago when then President Obama was finishing his second term in office. And in speaking to a large group at a, a gathering, some sort of banquet, he shared some comments, shared his speech. And as a joke, he grabbed a microphone that was on the podium and he dropped it like, I'm out, I'm done, I'm finished. But what it actually did was it posed that we should be paying attention or that something caught the attention of the crowd and that there was this moment where he dropped the mic, literally, but also figuratively. And it, it's become a bit of a way to think about when something is declared or something is said or done that leaves those watching and observing kind of awestruck. What, what just happened? What, what just took place? Uh, even astonished at they said that, they did that. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to look at moments in the ministry of Jesus that caused that same effect. It was a mic drop moment. Jesus didn't drop a microphone. Honestly, those things weren't invented then. And definitely is not a cliche, so to speak. But he had these occasions where he caused those around him to stop, to, to take notice, to really be astonished and amazed, to hear something, maybe for the first time, or see something that he was doing that was unlike anything they had ever seen before. Mic drop moments. And one of the early ones comes from Luke chapter 5, where Jesus both says something and does something that was a mic drop moment. Uh, it has not a lot to do with all that everyone thought it would be about, but it had to do with a man who was paralyzed and who was healed. Uh, if you have your Bibles, and, and I'm inviting you to turn with me again to Luke chapter 5, look in verse 17 as I read verse 17 through 26. A mic drop moment of Jesus. Now, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he had seen their faith, he said, Man, your sons are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. 
And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. A mic drop moment. Now, while this passage is still fresh on your minds, I want us to watch a short clip from the series, The Chosen, which is this particular passage on screen. Now, I have to say a disclaimer. It's not perfectly word for word, idea for idea from scripture. There is some artistic license, but the context and the interactions are essentially the same as what we read in scripture. And so let's watch this and let our visual minds take hold. Jesus, in this occasion, had a drop-in from above. There was a drop-in, an interruption, if you will, a moment where an opportunity presented itself to display not only his power, his authority, his miraculous touch, but also to describe something that only he could do. There was this drop-in. And this drop-in, as we might be surprised to have someone lowered in from our roofs, was certainly one of commotion and of surprise. Now, to be fair, buildings and homes in that day did have openings in the roofs. Most would have a cook fire or a place to, to burn wood right in the center of the home, and that smoke had to be released, that heat. And so it wouldn't be unusual to have an opening above head. But mostly it was not big enough for people to be lowered down from. And this group that had desired for Jesus to be in connection with their friend, they tried to move him in the normal way, through the crowd, through the, the audience, through the ones who had gathered in this home, but there was certainly no room. And, and verse 17 tells us that the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal. And so from the roof, from above, comes a man to... Jesus dropped in from above. He had friends. The video shows a lady and some men. The scripture says men alone. But he had friends who believed in Jesus enough and who had heard of Jesus' power and could have even at another time witnessed a demonstration of Jesus' miraculous touch such that they knew if they could get their friend to Jesus there would be the possibility of healing. And so, on his mat, tied to a rope, tied from above, he's lowered and laid before the Lord. He's paralyzed. He's unable to move. The scripture says he's a paralytic, completely unable to be mobile on his own. He was living a desperate life and in desperate need. There is no doubt his life would have been limited in many, many ways. And yet, they drop him in. Someone cared enough to bring him to Christ. Now, all of us, no matter if we walk up straight, no matter if we're physically strong, no matter if we have a clean bill of health, all of us, at some point in our lives and in true essence before the Lord, we are all paralyzed. We are all broken. We are all in desperate need because every one of us 
whether physically strong or not, every one of us has a problem that all humans have. And that's the sickness of sin. We are all broken. We are all in need. No one is exempt. No one is excused. No one is somehow removed. Every one of us has experienced the sickness and the disease, the universal problem that all humans have, and that's sin. But someone loved you enough, cared for you enough, helping you be brought to Jesus. It was maybe through their testimony or through their encouragement. It could have been through an invitation over and over and over to come to church and to hear the good news. For some of you, it came from family, from parents and grandparents who were faithful to share the good news, to share their conversion and their belief in Christ with you and that nudged you and encouraged you. Others, it was, it was like years of people speaking about the Lord and telling you about Christ. And eventually, over time, they were a part of the long list of folks who brought you to Jesus. I mean, every one of us have the paralyzed man living in us in that our hearts are broken, our lives are broken. But yet friends, family, those around us loved us enough to bring us to Christ. And I ask you, are you loving and encouraging in leading others yourselves to the Lord Jesus. You see, this man was a drop-in from above. And at one point, we were all drop-ins before Christ. But I want you to pay careful attention here to see the text as it unfolds. The first miracle that Jesus does has nothing to do with this man's physical deformities. The first miracle has nothing to do with his feet or his legs, his bones, his muscles. The first miracle has nothing to do with the paralysis. The first miracle that Jesus performs has to do with this man's heart. He says to him, your sins are forgiven. He tells the man in verse 20, your sins are forgiven. He says, man, your sins are forgiven you. He speaks about his heart. He speaks about his ultimate condition, not about his body or his frailty, but about his heart, his soul. And of course, verse 21, this claim of Jesus that forgiveness of sins is provided, oh, it sparks all kinds of controversy. They begin to ask amongst themselves and inside their minds, who, who is this? that speaks these blasphemies. Who can forgive sin but God alone? You see, the controversy is not about the man standing or the man walking. The controversy really is not about the man being made whole and given an ability to leave the crowd. The controversy is over Jesus' proclamation and his declaration that he can forgive sin, that he has the power and the authority to forgive this man. Because every person listening there in that crowd and in that home and everyone on those streets, every single person that was listening to Jesus then was living under the law. And they understood that forgiveness came through the law. They understood that forgiveness by God came through repentance to God and through the sacrifice of an animal. Now, 
Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 speaks of this in very quick fashion in saying, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so without going through a whole class or a whole lecture on how this took place in the Old Testament and how this transpired in the life of the Jewish people, briefly, from the point of Adam and Eve and their sinful actions in the garden, something took place in order for sin to be forgiven. For Adam and Eve, they experienced sin, they disobey God, they recognize they're naked, they're ashamed of what they've done, and God kills an animal to make coverings or to make clothing for them. Blood is spilled and a death occurs so that their sin can be covered. And that continues through the life of Moses. And it's ultimately formulated in the giving of the law. So that there are broken laws or broken commandments. And the way they are forgiven is repentance to God. And then the sacrifice of an animal. This continues through the temple. The one that Solomon builds. And eventually even the temple that Jesus worships in himself. The practice of repentance and sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. That is how forgiveness was applied. I mean, it could be birds. It could be a lamb. It could be a goat. And there's testimony of bulls being sacrificed. And day in and day out, there at the temple, on the altar, there would be the killing of animals and the shedding of blood and the sacrificing of animals as the people repented in their hearts to God they would then sacrifice so that the covering of that animal's blood and that sacrifice would be applied to their sin now it sounds absolutely barbaric to us today actually if any of you are members of animal rights organizations this probably sounds horrendous I mean why would an animal have to die, an innocent animal, for something I did, for something I had done wrong? It sounds absolutely foreign to us. It actually sounds kind of like bonkers. That's my theological word for the day. <laughs> bonkers. But the reason it sounds so foreign to us and strange is we, followers of Jesus, don't live under the law Jesus came to fulfill and complete the law. We find forgiveness in Christ alone. In his sacrifice. In his death. And in his shed blood. He put away that which was part of the Old Testament sacrificial system in his death on the cross as God's lamb. As God's sacrificial son. And it's his blood shed beautifully on the cross for our sin. That's how we receive forgiveness from God. It says in scripture, 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we can stand right before a holy God. We have forgiveness through Christ. Amen? Come on, 1030, I need an amen there. We have forgiveness through Christ, amen? And it's a beautiful sacrifice it's a glorious sacrifice that Christ alone grants for forgiveness through his sacrifice Acts chapter 5 verse 30 and 31 summarizes it this way 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him and at his and at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. From the earliest days, they understood that Jesus was the sacrifice. He was the offering. The Apostle Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 2 through 4. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. From the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his one and only Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Jesus' death and his shed blood provides the ultimate sacrifice for sin so that a holy, righteous God can look not upon us as broken sinners, still in our sin, but as saved saints who has come to Christ, who has received his grace and who his blood has been applied for. One of the early sermons preached in Acts chapter 13 Claims it and proclaims it so very well. Acts 13, 38 and 39. Let it be known to you therefore brothers. That through Jesus' forgiveness of sin is promised to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed. From everything from which you could not be freed. By the law of Moses. Jesus tells the man your sins are forgiven. And from the cross, when Jesus said it is finished and gave up his life and shed his blood, comes the promise that our sins can be forgiven. That his sins, the paralyzed man's sins are forgiven, but through Christ's death, we all can be forgiven. Amen? Amen. Through Christ, we have a promise, we have a hope, we have an enduring assurance that Jesus' death can provide for our sin. And he offers forgiveness. It's a forgiveness that is not selective. It's a forgiveness that's not categorized or compartmentalized only to this group and to that group of sins, but not appropriate to these. I mean, Jesus's promise isn't solely for those of us who feel guilty and feel ashamed. That is certainly part of our repentance. But Jesus's sacrifice is applied to all who sin. His forgiveness is complete, it's comprehensive, it's past, present, and future. Through the blood of Jesus, we are made new. We are passing from death to life, from old to new. We are born again. And in the eyes of God, we are no longer under the condemnation of sin. Romans 8 chapter 8, Romans 8 chapter 1 says, For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have been set free through the power of Christ. And friends, that is a miracle. That is the miracle that we all experience. We may not need to walk in the paralyzed legs or the broken body like this man. But we all have experienced the miracle of the forgiveness that comes from Christ alone. It's a miracle. A German theologian of a hundred years ago wrote this. 
he says the wonder of forgiveness has become trivial. It can be the death of our faith if we forget that forgiveness through Jesus is literally a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And for all of you who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've been the recipient of a miracle. He said to the man, your sins are forgiven and he has offered to all of us the same. It is a miracle. It's a miracle indeed. It's a miracle that we once, at some point, felt the drawing of God's spirit and felt the call of repentance and we prayed and trusted by faith that Jesus was indeed who he said he was and we believed him to be our sacrifice, our our salvation and we trusted in his name and through that conversion and in that experience, we were made new and our sin was forgiven. Do we continue to sin? Yes, but we have the promise and the hope that our savior knows our broken condition and he continues to walk with us. And as we we repent and as we confess, he grants forgiveness and grace upon grace. And one day we will see him glorified and he will draw us into his own and we will be sons and daughters of the king, co-heirs with Christ in his kingdom forever as forgiven sinners who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Ooh, I'm sweating up here, brothers and sisters. I'm giving you everything I got because this is a miracle. And when we forget it or we make less of it, then we leave a life of hope and encouragement and inspiration behind and we live paralyzed yet again under the condemnation that comes from this world. Verse 24, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus knows their questions. He knows their concerns, but he still says to the man, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He calls the man to stand to his feet, to pick up his mat, to walk new. I'm going to invite the praise team to come and join me. He calls this man to rise up and walk. Now, I've been in ministry a while, 20 plus years, grown up in church in many ways. I've heard this verse and I've seen it used maybe in a little Inappropriate way to tell folks, come up, walk forward, come up, rise, follow Christ. And that's definitely an okay way to explain it. And it is an okay way uh, to emphasize the power of Christ. But aside from the rallying cry of an invitation, I think there is a response here that all of us, all of us need to hear. Rise and walk. Rise and walk in the forgiveness that comes through Christ and Christ alone. Rise and walk in a new mindset of not living in condemnation for things people know and things that never be known. 
but rise and walk in that Jesus has given his life and given his blood and has given him very self so that we who walk once in sin can walk away from that and be in newness with him and be in fellowship with him and be encouraged by the power he gives. None of us should remain paralyzed, but we should all walk with our Lord and Savior boldly, strongly, faithfully until we see him face to face. Rise and walk. It's a mic drop moment. And I wonder today if it's a message and a response that you need to hear. I'm going to invite you to stand. And I'm going to say a prayer. And this altar is always open if you feel led to come and pray. I'll be here, of course. I'll be happy to pray with any of you. But I'm just going to ask the Lord to give peace and give encouragement. And maybe this prayer I share, you just need to take it as a moment to repent, confess, and take firmly the promise that Christ Jesus has the power to forgive and grants forgiveness to all that call upon his name. And maybe today you just need to walk upright. No longer under the condemnation, no longer under the shame and guilt, but rising and walking in the newness of life. Let's pray. So Lord, I ask in this moment, in this time, if there be any brother, sister in Christ who feels condemned, who feels ashamed, who feels guilty, who feels paralyzed, that you would give them the encouragement and the hope to know that Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has died for sin and grants forgiveness and abundance to all who call upon his name. Grace upon grace. Father, maybe there is one today that would say, I'm just learning about who Jesus is and the call of forgiveness, the call of renewed life. I'm ready to surrender to that and place my faith and trust in Jesus alone. Maybe today they would rise and walk. Whatever our response needs to be, Lord, I pray that we would take hold of it today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.